Before I speak this morning, I realise that we're in a very difficult time with another lockdown that's upon us. And it's very easy in these times to become fearful. It's quite natural, it's quite normal to have a sense of fear with the whole pandemic and with them telling us that it's on the increase down in the southern part of our country. But I just want to remind you that the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. And fear is something that the devil, the enemy, wants to sow into every one of our hearts. But the Bible tells us we are called to live by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, faith in a God, faith in a Savior who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you in every storm, in every difficulty that you face, in every crisis that comes your way. I will not forsake you. I will not walk away. I will be with you. And with that assurance, we can have hope and confidence about the future. Whatever's going on around about us, whatever challenges and difficulties we may face individually and corporately, if God is with us, we don't need to fear. Remember that story of the disciples where they got into the boat and Jesus said, we are going to the other side. And they set sail and there's this great storm and Jesus falls asleep. Why? Because he knew that they were going to reach the other side. He had spoken that word. Yet the disciples, in panic and in absolute fear and terror, they wake Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care? We are about to drown. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he says to them, where is your faith? They allowed fear to get the better of them. And when fear gets the better of you, faith flies away. So whatever this season is about, whatever challenges we may face, however difficult it might be in your work situation, in your home life, in your neighbourhood, we are called to be people who live according to our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in him, fear has no room because he is with us and will take us through whatever we face. I want to share with you something this morning. Um, it's a series that we talked about last week on Zoom that we are going to begin and um, here it comes. It's called Acts, an all-church teaching series and we're literally going to be looking in the Acts of the Apostles, the first few chapters, to try and recapture something of what the early Christian church had in terms of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to look at this morning. It will come up might need your help, Jeff. Although, oh, there we go. A church empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this series is really about trying to recapture something of the power that the early Christian church had. What made them significant? What made them stand out? What was it about them that caused people to take notice of them and to say, these guys have been with Jesus? Or to say about them, these people are turning the world upside down. That's a bit of a radical statement, but that was the impact that these early Christians were having on their community. And these were the sort of comments and headlines that people were saying in those days. It says in the scriptures about Jesus 
that we know, this is what Peter says in Acts 10.38, we know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Notice the bit, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. If Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit and power, how much more do you and I need to live out of that same reality. The book of Acts has been described like this. The book of Acts is the story of the disciples receiving what Jesus received in order to do what Jesus did. That's a beautiful sentence that sums up the whole of the book of Acts. It is about the early disciples, the early Christians, receiving what Jesus received in order to do what Jesus did. And when you start to go through the book of Acts, you see that they were doing what Jesus did. Back in June, I was 70 years of age. For the first time in my life, I had a brand new bicycle. Janice bought it for me. What a wonderful wife I've got. Janice was 70 last month, and I think for the first time in your life, you had a brand new bicycle. So we're a bicycling couple now. We take the bikes on the back of the car, we drive out somewhere nice, and off we have a nice little cycle around, and it's great. When I was eight, I had my first bicycle. And there was a, a neighbor a few doors down. He, he was an old guy, nice guy. I went and saw him. He took me in his garage. He gave me two wheels, a frame, a pair of handlebars, a saddle, a chain, and all the bits and pieces. And he said, there we are, you've got a bike. And I took it home with my brother, and I built this bicycle. It's probably why I eventually became an engineer before I went in the ministry. But I built this bicycle. It was my first bicycle that I had. It was black, because in those days, the choice was either black or black or black. We didn't have nice colored bicycles that we have today. But I was really thrilled and proud to have my own bicycle. I had to wait till I was 70 to get one that was brand new, but never mind. When I was 16, I got a Vespa motor scooter. I wasn't a rocker, I was a mod. Got the Parker jacket, stuck my Winkle Pickers toes out the side, and I rode my Vespa, passed my test. When I was 18, I got a Mini. It's great. After that, I had to sell it, because I met Janice, and we decided to get married, and we started to save up. We then went to Bible college, graduated from Bible college with diplomas in theology. Later on, I got a master's degree. The reason I'm telling you this is that empowerment comes when something energizes you. Whether it physically energizes you, academically energizes you, empowerment comes when something energizes you. Now, it is possible to possess something but not enjoy it. Let me explain. Many years ago in Texas, there were these huge ranches that had all this cattle that was feeding on them and these guys used to go around on horseback and lasso them and, and draw them all together. They did not know that underneath those ranches was something that was called black gold. 
We call it oil. After many years, it was discovered. They possessed something, but they didn't enjoy it. I got a friend who, for many years, he possessed a Porsche. Lovely yellow one. He used to keep it in his garage, keep it the battery topped up. He would take it out about two or three times a year, just on a sunny day. Rest of the year, it sat in his garage. Many, many years ago, when Janice and I were pastoring the church in Southampton, we had a lady there who had a, a farm. She'd long since left the farm, and, and there were just a few fields. But it just so happened that when the government decided to build the M27 motorway, they wanted to take it through one of two of her fields. And so they bought the fields off her, and overnight she became a millionaire. But do you know, to her dying day, she lived a pretty frugal existence. You see, it is possible to possess something, but not enjoy it. Back in 1646, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it was a coming together to try and bring a greater unity between the Church of England and the Church of Scotland. But they came together and they had this synod and they come up with this very famous statement, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How many Christians seek to live their lives to glorify God but they don't enjoy him? It's true. They live a very devout religious life, but there's not much joy of the Lord in their experience. You see, it's possible to have the Holy Spirit living in you, but not enjoying his power. And that's what this series is all about that we want to look at. A church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and enjoying the relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. There's a pastor in America by the name of A.W. Tozer. He died in 1963. But 50 or 60 years ago, he said something, and I'm going to put it up on here because I found it quite impressive. This is what he said. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today... 90 95% of what we do would go on with no one knowing the difference. Do you agree with that? I think there's truth in it. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. That's not the end of the quote, because it goes on, he says... If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop. And everybody would know the difference. You look in the first few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, the stuff that was happening. It was mind-blowing. That's why they said, these guys are turning the world upside down. We've never seen anything like this before. It was the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Level 10 there, church, needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every church, every Christian church needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because if we're not, we won't be able to bring God's healing to our broken world. 
You see, Jesus said here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. You probably heard it before. It's the root word from which we get our English words dynamic, dynamo, dynamite, dynamism, and one other word, dynamometer. Do you know what a dynamometer is? It's an instrument for measuring power. Wouldn't it be great if we had one of those to measure the Holy Spirit's power? You know, I could come and stick it in you. What's the power level of the Holy Spirit in you today? But the Holy Spirit is all about power to live the kind of life that Jesus lived and the early Christian church lived after Jesus had returned to heaven. We need the Holy Spirit because we cannot live the Christian life without his power. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, and we had it um, read to us, you know, you don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit's power. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and drink anything poisonous. It won't hurt them. They will place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now, let's just clear up the poison and the snakes bit here. Handling snakes was not some religious ceremony that took place in the New Testament times. Some people think it is. It wasn't. Snakes were common enemies. Poison was a common enemy. You couldn't drink the water. So what God was saying, what Jesus was saying here, you know, as you live your life, as you go about preaching the gospel, if something attacks you to harm you, like a snake... It won't harm you because the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. If you drink by mistake something that's got poison within it, it won't kill you because the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. And you read later on in the book of Acts when Paul landed on the island of Mortar and was gathering some firewood to make fire on the beach, snake jumped out, hung on to him. Everybody thought, this guy's a bad one. He's going to swell up and die. And then when the snake fell off and it didn't affect him, they said he must be a god. That was a fulfillment of this promise. But more importantly, what Jesus was saying here is that there will be signs of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you, casting out of demons. How many of you have cast out demons recently? I haven't for a long time. Laying hands on the sick, people being healed, speaking in new languages. Do you speak in a new language of prayer and praise to God as was spoken of in Acts chapter 2? You see, the first disciples were a bunch of misfits. They really were. If you had been Jesus, you would have not chosen these 12 guys to be your disciples. They really were an odd bunch. Think about it. They were a kind of an eclectic mix of ordinary people. Some were educated, some were uneducated. Some were hotheads. One was deceitful. Another was impetuous. Another one was full of doubts. Why would you want a group of people like this to be a part of your team? Big, big risk. But Jesus knew that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would turn the world upside down. So just some principles to draw out here this morning as to what we need 
to focus on to be a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we go into Acts chapter 1, the first thing I want to bring up for you here is simply this. Okay, it's firstly about obeying God's word, living my life in obedience to God's word. Because Jesus said to them in Acts 1 verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father. Do you know God loves obedience more than anything else? He does. It is the primary thing that pleases God when we live our lives in obedience to his word. Without obedience to God's word, we're on our own. And we live in a very me-focused world, which says, well, well life is about me. It's about what I want to do, what, about what I, I want to do with my life and the choices that I choose. But the problem is that when you live a me-centered kind of life, there's a constant struggle between your will and God's will. And very often, we want the church to become a success by our own efforts and our own wisdom and our own ability, rather than through the power of God's Holy Spirit at work amongst us. This pandemic has taken away many of our man-made ideas, many of our man-made structures. It's taken away many of the things that we call church. And I think that's good in some ways because I believe God is wanting to bring us back to what he wants church to be and for us to have a fresh understanding of the work of his Holy Spirit. But the early disciples had to wait and that word wait there in, in Acts chapter 1, it's the only place that it appears in the New Testament, in the Greek language, that word wait. It literally means to wait for an event. Go and wait in Jerusalem. It's waiting for an event. And in the grammatical context, it's the present infinitive, which means it's something you just continually do. You keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep waiting. Our instant age doesn't make waiting come very easy, does it? Really doesn't. We've got Amazon Prime. You can almost have something before you've ordered it nowadays. That's how it seems. You've got self-checkouts. You've got same-day delivery. You've got instant information online. You just press a button and you find out something straight away. Waiting does not come naturally to our culture because we expect everything now. The problem is that sometimes we can treat God like a kind of takeaway. Walk in, place your order, walk out with it. Thank you, God. The Bible speaks very clearly about the importance of waiting upon the Lord. God is never in a hurry. Those who wait upon the Lord will receive strength. We live such hurried and rushed lives that it's very hard to be still and to know God. And yet you look through the scriptures and time and time again, it's important just to wait and to be still and to be obedient to what he is wanting us to understand. When Jesus was tempted by the devil at the start of his ministry, you recall he went into that wilderness place and for 40 days he was there alone, had nothing to eat and Satan came to him at the end of 40 days and said, look, you are God. If you are God, then speak to these stones. Let them turn into fresh bread and, and satisfy your hunger. And Jesus came back to him and simply said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father God. 
We need to align our lives with God's word. That's the first key to become a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. A church that has people living in disobedience, it won't happen. People whose lives are not in alignment with the word of God will not encounter and enjoy the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Obedience is the first key. And these disciples had to be obedient. Go and wait. doesn't matter if you wait for 10 weeks, 20 weeks, 30 weeks. And actually they waited for 240 hours. Wait for the promise. But then also I think we have to be thirsty for the promise. And we had read to us that passage in Isaiah 44 this morning from Judy, which simply, where God says there, I will pour water on those that are thirsty. I will pour my spirit out on your descendants. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These disciples must have been thirsty because they waited and they waited and they waited there was 120 of them that were gathered just praying and waiting and seeking God. How long have you ever waited for the Holy Spirit to fill you? What are you thirsty for today? What things fire your passion? How desperate are we for God? It seems that these early Christians couldn't get enough of the Holy Spirit and they lived their lives out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the end of the service this morning, Judy is going to kindly come round and take orders for tea or coffee. And I guarantee you will not get a full cup of tea or coffee. Because fullness is tested by overflow. And unless Judy brings you a cup that is overflowing into the saucer, you will not have a full cup. And none of us want a full cup because it's a bit messy, isn't it? I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes in fullness, it gets a bit messy. Because he starts to do things that are out of our control. When we start to try and control things, the Holy Spirit becomes quenched. He's not able to do what he wants to do. Fullness is when we overflow. Fullness is when the Holy Spirit begins to work and just do stuff that blows our minds demonstrating his power and his ability. That is where fullness becomes evident. And we need to be a church that is thirsty and saying, God, fill me again, fill me again. I need to be filled daily because I leak. And that's why the scripture says, Paul says, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, that grammatical context is to continually be being filled. And all of us need to be being filled. And one of the ways you continually be filled is by praying and speaking in tongues. That just tops us up, that fills us afresh. Having that constant thirst for more of him so that I overflow and my life blesses others. Okay, one last thing. This is just an initial introduction almost. There needs to be a unity of purpose. One, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. There was a unity of purpose there. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is pretty rubbish and 10 is pretty brilliant, if you were to measure the unity of purpose of this church, I wonder what rating you would give it. Don't say anything out loud. What does level 10 suggest to the non-churched people? What is the measure 
of this church. You see, one of the biggest problems today in the UK amongst the Christian church is consumerism. We treat church like shops. And if my church is not serving or providing what I want, well, I'll go and find another one. We do that. You know, Judy's a great fan of Audi, I think it is. Some of you are fans of Waitrose or Tesco's or whatever. We, we shop around, we make our choice. And if, if one shop hasn't got what we're looking for, well, we go to another. And people treat the church like that. Kind of a consumeristic attitude. And that does not create a unity of purpose, passion and desire. Because unity is not when you focus on yourself, it's where you focus on one another and you relate together in a spirit of love that is born out of the presence of Jesus amongst us. Reinhard Bonnke, that great German evangelist that had a great passion for Jesus and preached the gospel to tens of thousands, particularly through, throughout Africa, he died just last year, but he said this, the less Holy Spirit we have, the more cake and coffee we need to keep the church going. I, I like that, but it's true. The less Holy Spirit we have, the more coffee and cake we need to keep the church going. There's a ring of truth in that. He was a man who was passionate for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And the promise of the Holy Spirit was not given to make us happy, it was given to make us powerful so that we could live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. And a church that has a unity of purpose is attractive to the Holy Spirit. So some questions as we end. How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit today? And let me remind you, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a power, he's not a force. He's a person. How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit today? Does he dwell within you in power? What priority does the Holy Spirit take in your daily life? How thirsty are we for him? Does this church make the Holy Spirit feel welcome? Let's pause for a moment to pray and then I'm just going to put a couple of questions up that we can just turn our chairs around and have a little bit of a conversation together. Father, we are understanding more and more these days how much we need your Holy Spirit. We find ourselves living in very difficult times. We're living in times that, that we've never ever been in before and to navigate our way through this, Father, is, is difficult. And to understand what you want your church to be out of this is like looking through a glass that's all a bit frosted up. Lord, the future is in your hands, not ours, and we're so glad about that. But we want to be a people who are prepared for whatever you have got for us in the future. And we know, Lord, the only way we can be prepared is to be a people that are filled with the presence and power of your Spirit that overflows to share the love and life of Jesus with our broken world. You said, Jesus, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Lord, the primary reason why you want us to overflow with your Spirit is so that we can share your love with those who don't know. And so I simply pray today, Holy Spirit, will you come? May we all encounter you afresh in our lives. And may this church increasingly be filled with your Holy Spirit, 
We pray this in and through your name. Amen.